Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this morning, we're going to spend um, some good time teaching and praying and just trusting the Spirit of God to just move mightily in word. Um, just trusting that the Lord will, will teach us today what his heart desires and will bring us into the revelation of his will. Before we go on, I just want us to pray for Nigeria and pray over Nigeria and just pray for the release of God's angels to guide and guard this nation. I just ask the spirit of God to keep Nigeria. Let us push back the hand of violence this morning and decree over our nation, peace, peace in the name of Jesus. We rebuke and we reject any orchestration of the kingdom of darkness against our land. We reject any orchestrations of the powers of hell against our land. We declare that in the name of Jesus, there shall be no sudden violence over Nigeria. We declare that in the name of Jesus, there shall be no violence that comes from all kinds of um, orchestrations. There shall be um, no, no violence over Nigeria in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just declare that your power, your glory, your grace shall completely saturate this nation. God, we ask that you would hear the prayers of the saints, oh God, that have been prayed over the years, all the prayers that have been released over prophetic altars in Nigeria, that God, you would hear our prayers, oh God, and you would rise up as a father over this land. In the name of Jesus, Nigeria shall not be overthrown. In the mighty name of Jesus, God, we just rebuke, oh God, the orchestrations of the army that rises from the north. Father, we rebuke, oh God, any kind of rebel or rebellion, oh God, that even rises from the south. Lord, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Father, we just call for the wind of your spirit, the wind of unity, the wind of grace. God, we ask that in the name of Jesus, that you will release, oh God, your, your, your capacity and your power, oh God, to quench any opposition against the peace in this land in the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we declare that there shall be peace, 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 and more peace over Nigeria. We just release the army of peace, the army of heaven's peace peace over this land. We declare that in the name of Jesus, our border shall be kept. We declare that our nation shall be kept. We declare that this nation shall be kept for its purposes, its eternal purpose. In the name of Jesus, we shall not miss our destiny. Nigeria's soul shall not be taken away from her. Her destiny shall not be taken away from her. In the mighty name of Jesus, we just decree and we declare that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are standing upon the fullness of the will of God sending us in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise God. Um, I hope you all were praying while we're praying for Nigeria. I hope you were lifting up your voice and those declaring concerning this nation, um, the will of God and the hand of God. Um, this morning, if there's anyone you believe that should be here, um, I need you to just wake them up. I need you to wake them up because the Spirit of God is going to be talking to us today about um, a different kind of gate, the gate of locations. And I, I believe really strongly that it has a lot to do with um, where a lot of us on this call and even those that we'll watch in the future, where we will be in the next season that is coming and what the, what God wants to do with men and with different locations. Because every time God wants to do a mighty work over a generation, over a people, over a household, part of what he begins to do is to cause a movement to happen. And God begins to highlight the need um, for them to adhere to God's own um, deliverance over the nation. So I believe that there's something mighty that the Spirit of God is doing in this season in lands and in nations. So I, I, I just need you to reach out to somebody to say, hey, you know, I hope you're praying right now. Um, I hope you're listening right now. And if there's any prayer in where you should have ever written something down, because I know many times when we come for prayer meetings in the morning, we just, you know, we, we, we just come ready to pray, ready to, to shout. But um, not many times do we come ready to learn um, and to write. So I would encourage you to write down today as much as you can. Um, okay, so gate of locations. While, while, we, while we study the gate of locations, um, because you will see consistently in the Bible how the destinies of people and the destinies of um, seasons and generations were usually tied to locations. The Bible declares that it is God um, that, that has um, made the nations and he has set the boundary lines. You know, it is him that ordains the times and the places where men should be, you know. So um, you begin to realize that the destiny of of places and the destiny of locations and in the hands of God. When you look at um, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus appeared in the fullness of his glory or in his glory, not his fullness just yet. None of us have really seen that. But when he appeared in his glory and his glorified state, and he had, John had his vision, and Jesus began to say to him, write this letter to the angels in the churches of the different locations. And so you begin to say to yourself, okay, was it just writing it to the people of that time? And why did it have to be location? Why does it have to be, okay, write this to the person in this house or write this to the individual in this place or write this to the, the you know, um, why, had, why did it have to be location? Almost as though the people were categorized by the locations where they were. It was almost as though the destinies of the people was locked up within the locations where they were. And so it did not really matter how um, you felt or what you thought. As long as we're within that particular location, here is the letter of the Lord to you. And in as much as we know that 
right now. It wasn't just talking about those liquidations at that time, but it's also talking about us in this time. So the letters were both locational and dispensational. So as when it pertains to locational, it was really talking about the locations and the outworking of certain spirits, mentalities, and doctrines within those locations. And Jesus was addressing it and was addressing them and was telling them, hey, here is what, what you get for adhering to ABC, but here is the penalty for not adhering to ABC. You know, so it, it, it was a very, very complete letter and it was really locational. But when we step back and we begin to look at it through the eyes of prophecy, I will begin to realize that Jesus was not just talking about the locations at that time. He was also prophesying to the people that would occupy different locations in time and in season. And this is very, very important because um, the letter that he gave in Revelation has then become for us a roadmap by which we can now begin to trace ourselves, where we stand in time and in season, where we stand in the history of the earth. And our ability to do that begins to tell us what we will be attacked by, what we'll be attacked with, and what we must adhere to. You know, this is very important. When we leave this prayer reign, I needed to go back and study um, the, 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 the seven churches and study the different things that categorize them and locate yourself in where we are at today, what church is being manifested today, at what stage are we are in this revelation of Jesus, um, at what stage are we are in the things that he said and he prophesied, because the moment you are able to locate yourself, you automatically begin to know what will plague you, what will ail you, what is coming against the current church, and how we must position ourselves, and how we must posture ourselves, and what we need to adhere to, because it will determine the, the power that is released to us. So I found out that the problem with many believers is that we, we, we war independently. We war, you know, as though our destinies were independent of time, seasons, you know, generations, people, and, you know, all kinds of things. We just we, we, we just war without thinking about how we are connected to a grand picture and how we're connected to a big picture. So we fight battles we are not supposed to fight. And then um, we, we are weakened by the things that we don't know. We are weakened by the prophecies we don't know. We are weakened by um, the word of the Lord that we don't know. It is always a locational struggle that the average believer has. You know, it's a disorientation in the spirit realm where you cannot find yourself. So the Bible comes to us our first compass by which we locate ourselves in the realm of the spirit and also um, um, prophecy also becomes another compass for us and then the holy ghost is a great the greatest compass that we could ever have and the body of the or body of christ the communion within the body of christ becomes a fort and a strong compass by which a believer is able to consistently locate himself or herself so when we trespass against these boundaries what you begin to see is a believer who is seemingly powerless or a believer who will not last long. So I have seen many people rise in Christianity and Christendom and they have fallen like shooting stars and were never able to establish anything. Why? Because they did not understand that you are as powerful as your ability to locate yourself in the realm of the spirit. Because your ability to locate yourself begins to tell you the doors that are open to you. Your ability to locate yourself in the spirit realm begins to tell you the grace, the power, and the capacity that is available unto you. So you then begin to realize that um, for, for, for a Christian to stand powerfully, you must know where you are at. Where are you at really? 
Are you just in Germany? Are you just in Canada? Are you just in Nigeria? Or are you in a particular space and realm and zone of operation? Where are you at really? Because this determines a lot of things in your life. So as we go further down, you begin to see the power of location and how it plays out um, in the lives of people. Um, um, I had someone talking to me um, some days ago about you know, something that was going on in the location where um, the individual was. And I said to, to the person, I said, hey, listen to me. It's obvious you're confronting um, a principality over a region. I said, the question is, what do you do? What do you do? So we're going to go in there. I said, I mean, this is not something that was happening to you before you went into this location. And the moment you went in there, what do you do? And the thing is, the devil's greatest power is usually the power of deceit. But when Satan steps out of deceit and begins to manifest himself and it becomes so easy to spot him, then you better know that he has gotten desperate. He's gotten desperate. So um, the question is, when you begin to see the desperation of Satan, what do you do? I'm going to, as we go on, we're going to answer this question, but let us move on real quickly. Now, there are different locations in the Bible that I want us to look at real quickly and how these locations affected the lives of the people that were there or the benefit of it or the or the, the lack of benefit thereof. So for example, the first person I want us to look at is, is, is locations, or the first thing I want us to look at is locations and altars, and how the altars in locations go a long way to determine the destinies of people. So first of all, you look at Abraham and um, the different altars that Abraham built. So different locations that I want us to look at is Bethel, Shechem, and... Um, Let's, let, let's go on and we'll look at it, the last one. Um, so the first thing, better shocker, I'm Hebron. So um, Abraham, after I after he arrived at Canaan, you know, the Bible tells us how the first place that Abraham went to was, I hope I pronounced this well, Shechem. Well, the first place Abraham went to was Shechem. And in Shechem, he built an altar. I'm not pronouncing it right. Just pronounce it right in your own place. Do you understand? Now, the second place that he went to was Bethel. And there he also built another altar at Bethel. And later, Abraham left Bethel and he went to Egypt. Then he went from Egypt. Remember now, when he went to Egypt, he didn't build an altar. Then he went from Egypt to the south. And from the south, he went back to Bethel again, staying in Bethel. So Bethel, he was staying in Bethel um, between Bethel and AI, and we know how later there was the battle fought at AI. Now, the place where he built an altar later, um, he built an altar later at Bethel. Now, Hebron, Hebron, he went to alt um, Hebron also and built another altar at Hebron. Now, so in these three places, Abraham built three altars, um, Shechem, Bethel, and Hebron. Now, all three places have an altar, and these three places are sanctified as far as, you know, history is concerned. Now, the Bible shows us that, um, that God uses these three places, you know, um, Bethel, Hebron, and Shechem, um, to represent Canaan. Now, in God's eyes, Canaan carries 
the characteristics of these three places, actually. In God's eyes, Canaan carried the characteristics of these three places. And you begin to see these characteristics played out um, in the Bible. One second, please. of words trying to describe Elohim Elohim Thank you so much. Um, thank you. Uh, okay, so I'll just continue from where I stopped. We're talking about the three altars that Abraham built. And <clears throat> so basically, this is Abraham's journey. And God said to Abraham, leave your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. He says, and then God begins to make promises to Abraham as Abraham was along the way. Now, God did not make the fullness of these promises to him when he commanded him to leave. But then God began to make the promise to him as he went along the way. And then you begin to realize that um, God is almighty. God could have given Abraham 
everything that he wanted to give him while he was in his house, in his father's house. The question is, why did God make Abraham leave? Now, God made Abraham leave his location as at that time because the promise that God was going to give to Abraham, first of all, was not going to be established in that location. And if you notice the journey of Abraham's father, Terah, the Bible declares in Genesis how Terah actually began that journey first. And Terah was making a journey to Canaan. And then when Terah got to Haran, how Terah paused at Haran, and you know, Terah just continued his life there. And then you then realize that the journey of Abraham was actually the journey that his father was meant to make. Please stay with me this morning. And in that journey that his father was meant to make, his father came to an intersection in life where his father realized that, you know what? I, I can't go. I'm, I'm satisfied where I am. I'm satisfied with Haran. I want to stay here. But then within the seed of his father, Terah, God then raises another man who did not only have the ear to hear the, the blessing that was coming, but he also had the guts to make the movement that was needed. And so you then begin to realize that the blessings of God are not independent or they do not stand irrespective of the location of men. So if God says to you, I am going to bless you, I'm going to make you great. The next thing you want to ask the Lord is where? You want, you want to ask the Lord where and where, not just physically, but where spiritually so that you can locate what God is doing. If you look at um, Abraham, you then realize that God began to say to him, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make you a foundational blessing. What you are about to do is going to be the foundation for many generations. So people who usually are the foundational people that God uses to establish the blessing and the blessedness of a new day, those people usually are marked by movement. So you look at it in the life of, uh, of Abraham, you look at it in the life of David, you look at it in the life of John the Baptist, having to leave his father's house and his people and the regular temple worship and life as you knew it and moving to the wilderness. You look at it also um, in the life of Jesus, he was a mover. You look at it in the life of the apostles who are the foundation, all the works they did became the foundation of the new day and the new testament in Christ Jesus. You begin to realize that it is almost as though when men move, God was mapping in the spirit realm. It's almost as though God was, you know, creating a map of some sort and drawing some sort of story that in the future, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you also can trace that map and you get a sense of what the Lord was doing. So in Abraham's eyes, Abraham was just moving from tent to tent and Abraham was just moving to the next best location. Abraham was moving away from his enemies. Abraham was moving away from trouble. Abraham was moving away from strong passions. But Abraham we now, we look at Abraham, I will study Abraham, and we begin to realize that everywhere he went to, and at every point where he said, you know what, this is significant, I want to worship the Lord, I want to bless the Lord, I want to offer something powerful unto the Lord. With hindsight, we then realize that the places where Abraham arrived and he decided in his heart, I should build an altar here, those places became monumental in the history of the children of Israel. Many times when God moves you to make certain sacrifices in certain places or God moves you to, to, to give certain devotions in certain locations, trust me, it is not for granted. 
as long as you are a person that God has chosen, which has chosen all of us in Christ Jesus, and God has anointed and God has stirred up according to his will and his purposes, every time a son of the living God goes down on his knees to make a certain consecration and to establish a certain um, position in the spirit realm, it becomes like open heaven or other place, and God can begin to pour the desires of his heart within that location in a way that cannot be stopped for generations. Now, Shechem was a place of promise. You know, this, this place called Shechem was first mentioned in Genesis 12, um, verse 6 to 7. So you, you're going to do all of this reading yourself. Now, Shechem was a location where Abraham stopped and he stopped at a tree called Moreh. And, you know, in that place, he received the promise of God for the land. Now, so Shechem became part of the promised land of Israel, and he was given to the um, Kohatites and served as a Levitical city of refuge. So you then begin to realize that what Abraham received at a tree, and is an oak tree of Moreh, and Shechem in itself means strength because it's gotten from the Hebrew word for shoulder. And usually shoulder speaks about strength because it's upon your shoulder you can bear burdens. Now, um, Moreh speaks about um, uh, uh, knowledge. So basically at the, at the, at the tree of knowledge, um, was where he found strength. So it was at the, so basically there is, there are certain kinds of strength you don't come into until you first come into the knowledge of God. So basically that's what he was talking about, why the Lord gave him the promise at Moreh. Now Shechem was the place where, um, Joseph's remains was, were buried. Do you understand? Um, now Shechem, also spoke about a place of commitment because when you look through history, um, it was in Shechem that the Israelites were reminded of God's covenant, um, covenantal relationship with them. You know, so you begin to see how um, before they entered Canaan, how the Israelites had been instructed to pronounce the blessings and the curses of the law at Mount Ger um, Gerizim and then um, and, and Mount Ebal. But then also you then realize that under Joshua's leadership, when they arrived at the Battle of Ai, you know, um, later on, the covenant had to be re re renewed, you know, concerning God's desire for them. And they did it again at Shechem. So Shechem became a place where there was a recommitment of the children of Israel. These are generations later. Many generations before, their father arrived at that land and their father said, you know what, God, I will worship you. God, I thank you. God made a promise to him and a covenant to him that I will give you this land. And then generations later, you then begin to see how the land became monumental in the life and the history of the children of Israel. Same thing for Hebron. You know, you see how... Um, 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 Abraham made an altar in Hebron. You know, at Hebron, the Lord first appeared to Abraham uh, and told him about the land that was going to be given to him and to his offspring. Later, after the death of King Saul, God also told David to go to Hebron, and it became the city where David ruled over Judah for seven years, you know, because at that time, the Jebusites controlled Jerusalem, you know. So over time and over history, you begin to then see how Hebron became a stronghold. Even when, um, 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 at the time of Abraham, it was also in the in Hebron and in the surrounding lands that Abraham bought um, the, 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 the land where you found have the cave of Machpelah. And it was at the cave of Machpelah that Abraham was buried, Sarah was buried there. And I think 
um, Jacob was also buried there. His remains were taken there. And I think Joseph also was buried there. And it now became like a, the, the, a grave site that today, you know, um, it's, it's a place that people look at and you know that this place is monumental. But as at that time, when Abraham was initially carrying out the actions, it just looked like a normal land. At some point, he just found a good place, you know, that he could bury you know, people, and I was like, oh, you know, let me buy this, you know, this cave is here. But you didn't realize that Hebron became very, very instrumental in the plans of God. As a matter of fact, at some point, David, generations after Abraham, was anointed at Hebron. You didn't realize that even when Absalom took the throne away from David, Absalom also sought to make Hebron his headquarters. So Absalom first made Hebron his first headquarters. It was when he was going to make it Jerusalem. That was when Absalom was taken. Then you didn't realize that Hebron became significant. It became a place of ordination. It became a place of anointing. It became a stronghold, you know, for generations after. When you look at a story like this of Shechem of Hebron and then Bethel, we know the story of Jacob, how um, Jacob was making his journey to Laban's house as he was running away from his father, of his brother rather. And the Bible says at night, Jacob laid his head to sleep. And Jacob realized that there were angelic activities in that land. You know, so by the time he woke up in the morning, he was like, my goodness, the Lord was here and I did not know it. He says, for indeed, this is the gate of heaven. How did that place become the gate of heaven? How did that place become the house of God? How did it become? It was by the altar that Abraham had built because he then realized that where Jacob lay to sleep was the same location, or that same location. So generations after, the altar that his grandfather opened up was still speaking. Um, generations later, the altar that his grandfather opened up was still speaking over the land. So when you look at this very carefully, you then begin to realize that even the life that we live and the possible benefits we can get and the possible strongholds that we can have is dependent on altars that have been raised in certain locations before. I see this play out very carefully. Sometimes people go into houses and from the moment they enter the houses, their, their marriage started having issues. Or people go to certain nations and certain lands, and from the moment they enter there, they are not able to experience certain capacities in their lives anymore. Or you also notice is sometimes people go into certain places and they begin to prosper. And they're like, ah, ah, but is this same gift? Is this same capacity? How is it that in Nigeria? How is it that in America? How is it that in Australia? This thing seemed as though it had no power, it had no capacity. But the moment I moved geographical location, something happened. The reason why that happened is because speaking over every land is the destiny altars that have been erected in that land is the destiny. So when you look at certain nations, you begin to understand that what is plaguing the nation is not necessarily what has happened, what is happening at that time. Many times the history of nations and lands and territories are even written before the people come, before, the, before a generation arrives. So it is important that as a believer, you know the history of where you stand. Because it takes me into the next thing about locations. Because next I want to talk about is locations and princes. It is important to know the history. There are many people who are praying for Nigeria today. They say, oh, we are intercessors, but they have no idea about the history of Nigeria. And I'm not just talking about what the history books write. I'm talking about what the spiritual fathers have written. What were the things that were written by the people who were spiritually awakened about the nation? What were the gates that were opened? 
what were the altars that were open? Many of the founding fathers in many nations were actually people who were part of things like Freemasonry. Many of them were Satanists. Many of them dedicated nations to, to their God, not to our God. And then you see how many years later, you have not, we have not been able to find people with not just the spiritual understanding, but the strength, or have not been able to galvanize the land to come together to reject and to, to, to rebuke the things that were, that were established. Or we have not been able to find kings and rulers who come into alignment with God's priesthood to be able to break a generational curse over a nation. And so you find out that this is what often happens with nations who in their early stages of being uh, of being established were taken over or were ruled by other people. So when you get into the land, why is it that the Lord always commanded that you destroy the altars of Baal, destroy the altars of strange worship? Why did the Lord always command this? Because he knew that it, as long as it is not destroyed, it is possible for it to keep speaking. And then it becomes some sort of stronghold over the people. Why am I saying this today? The first thing I need you to pray about is that you begin to pray and say, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I remove myself from any kind of strange speakings that have been put over the location where I am. And Lord Jesus, I reposition myself under the location of the spirit. Father, I ask that in the mighty name of Jesus, you cause me number one, to be fully awakened to what I am dealing with, to what I am engaging with. I pray, Father, that you open my eyes to begin to understand the configuration of the location where I dwell in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, even as you bring unto me that understanding, my God, I ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you would increase me in capacity, oh God, that you would strengthen me in my inner man, that you will strengthen me in my spirit to be able to deal with the things that I observe and deal with the things that I see. God, I ask that in the name of Jesus, you will bring me into the company of people who are strong, people who are prophetic. You will bring me into the company of intercessors and warriors. Father, that there will be nothing speaking over my life, oh God, that is not in accordance with your will, that is not in accordance with your desire. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, I break myself spiritually out of the location of people who went before me that do not stand for you, that do not represent you. God, I declare that in the name of Jesus, that I am located in Christ and Christ in God. I decree and I declare, oh God, that I have overcome the brokenness of the location where I stand and wherever I stand, I stand as a light for the kingdom of God. I decree and I declare that the roof over me is not the roof of the brokenness of my location, but I decree that the roof over me is the roof of the spirit of the living God. I stand under an open heaven in the name of the Lord Jesus. I stand under an open heaven in the name of the Lord Jesus. I stand, oh God, under the watering of your spirit. I stand, oh God, under the flow of your grace. In the mighty name of Jesus, though I be in this world, I am not of the brokenness. I am not of the demonic altars of this world, of this location in the name of Jesus. Father, I understand how it works. I know that when kings take places, they tend to build altars so that it becomes gateways for their gods to enter. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, Berekuske Maratiza, Zafrendia Kapapaleta, Zokrega Dele Dimoroski Papale, Jambraga Dele Kizokopa, Rakatele Braga Dala Tekata, Shengregia Namatoskopelekete, in the name of Jesus.
Where are you? Where do you stand? Are you standing in a potential stronghold for the kingdom of God or a stronghold for the kingdom of darkness? How is it that you do not know what you should be warring against or how you should be warring or with whom you should be warring? Father, I ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you cause the people on this prayer call to grow, to grow and live in like five years of growth, 10 years of growth in the name of Jesus, that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened, oh God, that as you enlighten our eyes, we will begin to see the hope of the nations, the hope of the locations, the hope of the places where we are at, because without the enlightenment of your spirit, we cannot, uh, we cannot observe and we cannot know, oh God, the intelligence that you have put together. Father, we cannot know the intelligence of hope that you have put together. Father, help us so that we may war hand in hand with your spirit. So that we may war hand in hand with your spirit. Father, we declare that in the name of the Lord Jesus, our children will not have to suffer for the battles that we did not win. Our children will not have to suffer under the same kind of demonic weights that we have all had to suffer under. But Lord, we break ourselves out of these demonic cultures in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hear me. This is very, very important. Because you begin to see how, for some people, your children begin to speak in a certain way or begin to act in a certain way. And they say to you, oh, this is how they are. You know, we are Americans. This is what happens. Or they begin to say, oh, this is what happens to a particular race or a particular people in a particular location. It does not have to be your destiny. Because remember what we we're saying the other day, that every culture is backed up by a spirit. And every spirit has got a desire that it is seeking to establish for its kingdom that it has come from. So you need to be very careful and you need to become very observant to say to yourself, where I stand, what are the things that are at play? What are the things that are working? Because people come into locations where prayers and intercession have gone up. And in those locations, there is strong prosperity. The Bible began to declare about how the ark of God was taken to the house of Obedidon. And everything in the house of Obedidon began to flourish. Everything, everything in his house, his servants, his children, his animals, himself, everything just began to flourish. Why? Because there was something about the presence of God that was there. So imagine you getting a job in Obedidon's house. And then when you got that job in Obedidon's house, ah, ah, you know, before you know what's happening, you know, your, 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 your in-laws came and said, ah, we just realized we have to give this to you. You know, friends that had issues with you began to reconcile with you. You know, everything began to turn. And you're like, what's going on? This season, since I started working with this person, that's exactly what happens. When you find yourself in locations that have been anointed by God or locations where demonic spirits have got a stronghold. I have seen people take jobs in certain organizations and those places nearly wrecked their destiny because they entered that place. They had no knowledge of what the people who built that place had dedicated it to. For some people, they dedicate a certain amount of babies and you begin to hear that, are you here? Are you your college had a miscarriage? Really? Are this other one too? Really? What's going on now? Hey, let's be praying. Listen to me. Open your eyes because you do not only stand where you stand. You stand where you stand. 
So you need to be able to know, and we don't always flee from battles. So the solution sometimes is not running away, but sometimes the solution is to get out of your father's land, get out of your father's house, leave a people and go to the place that I will show you. Now you begin to see in Ephesians 6 verse 12, very carefully, it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So basically he said, listen, the, the problem we're having is not the things that are obvious. The problem we're having are not the things that we can see. The problem we're having is not flesh and blood. He says, our true fight is against principalities. Principalities are principal spirits that rule over nations. They rule over locations. They bring um, certain kinds of laws over certain areas. He says we, 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 we wrestle against powers. These are the ones that cause the things to happen. The powers usually, they are moving through governments, they are moving through policies and all of that. He says we wrestle against the rulers of darkness. The rulers of darkness are the ones that systematize the evil that power is seeking to establish. So he says we are wrestling against this thing. He says spiritual wickedness in high places. So they cause things like drought, they cause famine, they cause rape in certain locations to be uh, uh, an all high suicide and all of that. He says, Paul, the, the, the apostle began to say, this is our true fight. So when you enter a place and you begin to sign certain orchestration, he said, don't be taken by, oh, look at what my child began to do. Look at what my husband began to do. Look at what these people began to do. He says, listen, what is the principality that is warring against you? What is the power? What is the darkness that has been, you know, locked up and interwoven into the destiny of the place that you find yourself? You look at the story of Daniel um, in Babylon, just even talking about Babylon. You remember how in Genesis, um, the Tower of Babel was where they were seeking to raise up an altar. Because when we read the story of the Tower of Babel, we think they were just building a physical building. And I said to people, I said, God doesn't have a problem with skyscrapers. It wasn't a physical building that was the problem. Because God doesn't have a problem with architectural and things. If not, the whole world would be destroyed right now. The problem was the intention of the Tower of Babel. History has it that on the top of the Tower of Babel, they were putting the, um, um, the, 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 the idea was that the Tower of Babel was going to be um, like a region. What they wanted to raise was a place where the second heavens could interact with the earth. They were trying to raise a demonic altar that would go up to the heavens. So when they say go up to the heavens, it wasn't talking about just the physical height. It was talking about a location that could interact with demons and demonic spirits, that could interact with principalities, and it could become a gateway. And then you begin to realize that this thing that you see in the Tower of Babel that they were trying to build is exactly what Abraham built by raising an altar in Bethel. And then you begin to see that um, Jacob was describing it, and he says, I saw angels ascending and descending, and I saw the Lord standing at the top of the ladder. So you begin to see that everywhere where certain altars are raised, it becomes a gateway to the realm that the one who raised the altar was sacrificing to. So this was what the Tower of Babel was trying to establish, a gateway. And then you begin to see years later in Babylon, how Babylon then became a hub for certain kind of demonic interactions. Now imagine a man who has lived through time and has lived in these nations and had no idea what was going on in spirit. Now, the prophet Daniel had received a troubling vision concerning 
a great war that was going to happen in Daniel 10. And so what happened was when he received this vision, it provoked him to go into a three-week period of fasting, fasting, morning prayer. And in response to Daniel's prayer, God sent um, a messenger for heaven. We all know this story. The messenger's name was um, Gabriel. God sent Gabriel. And this was what Gabriel said to Daniel. He said, um, from the day you began to speak, I was dispatched. The Lord already answered. He dispatched the answer. From the day you began to pray. He says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom, excuse me, resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. He says, later the angel speaking to Daniel predicts for that further fight and say, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But I will first, well, first I tell you that it, as it is written in the book of truth. So basically it says, uh, it says, no one supported me against them except Michael, your prince. I need you to pause for one second. When you listen to this conversation, it, it sounds like the conversation of two friends that are talking. And one is like, ah, I was planning to come to you, but the ticket fare was so high, you know, so I couldn't make it. And, you know, I thought to myself, ah, what will I do? Then a friend of mine came to me and said, oh, don't worry. You know, I'm flying in my private jet. You can come with me, you know. So, but when I go back now, I'll try to come back again. It just sounded like a conversation between two people. But basically what Dan, what Gabriel was saying to Daniel was something that was going on in the spirit realm. Now, in the time that Gabriel was having this conversation with Daniel, the question is, what was going on in Babylon? The children of Israel were there. They were there in captivity. They were there as slaves to the king of Babylon. They were slaves to a Babylonian system. But at that point in time, they did not have any idea that deliverance was on the way. Daniel, a man that was sensitive enough to be able to realize that that location was, um, that, 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 that the time had come for that location where the deliverance of God was to come. Now, how do you usually access gates in the realm of the spirit? One of the way is prayer. In fact, you access it first of all by the word of the Lord. You know the word that God has spoken, the words that God has prophesied, prayer and fasting very strongly because it's not what opens the gate, it's what opens you to the presence of the gate. So what happened to Daniel was that Daniel realized that, listen, something is going on. There is a war that is about to break out. Something is about to break loose over this land. And Daniel said to himself, you know what? I need to pray. Now, it was in the midst of the prayer that Daniel got this visitation. And you hear the angel speaking and the angel saying, listen, I know that the people all around you cannot see what's going on. I know that the nation don't even understand. But listen, something is going on in the spirit realm. There is war in the heavens. Now, when we came on this call, why did I uh, say, let us pray? Because while I was sleeping, in fact, I had woken up already. Me, I had even started messaging Pastor Stephanie. I was like, oh, this is how the money will go, da, 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 da. And then I laid back down again. I took, you know, drank water, did everything. I laid back down. I didn't lay down to sleep, but I laid down to just listen in. And the next thing, I it was like I, I was still awake. But the next thing, I started hearing um, the firing of guns. And they were huge guns. Like, And I was hearing, these are big guns. And it was as though the kind of guns that military people use, military 
um, whatever, and it will shake houses and it was shaking places. And so in the dream, I was waking my husband up and I'll say, Bobby, get up, Bobby, get up, Bobby, get up. You know, Bobby, get up. Can you hear the guns? Can you hear the guns? And it wasn't like robbers. In, in this vision, I could tell that it was something that had to do with the nation. It wasn't just little people that were, you know, blasting off. And so I kept trying to wake him. In the midst of waking him, I woke up and I was like, it was so real. I thought, what? I am, and as I woke up, I kept hearing the sound so clear. I can still hear it in my spirit now. And as I started walking to my closet, I was like, nah, something, we have to, we have to fast and pray because something, the enemy wants something to break out over this land. And I'm saying it to you because you look at the, the vision of Daniel and the moment Daniel had this troubling vision, what did he do? He went into fasting, he went into prayer, he went into consecration and mourning over the land. This is what everyone who is listening to me should do over our nation. You know, so the, 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 the angel said to him, he said, from the moment you began to pray, I was withheld, withheld by who? That is to tell you over the land of Babylon, there was a Persian king who is not the king sitting on the physical throne. He is, he was the king sitting in the spiritual throne. I remember a vision I had in 2014 where God showed me the spirit behind the throne of Nigeria. And trust me, guys, these things that we talk about are not just, oh, you know, let's say something spooky to get the attention of the people. No, these things are real because the apostle began to say, see, this is what our true fight is against. This is what the true battle is against so that certain destinies will not be burned. So that people, so Israel was not held in captivity just because the king was more powerful than them. Israel was at, at that, in those 70 years, was held in captivity to the rulership of a demonic spirit, a principality in the spirit realm that was so strong enough that it could withhold Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I need you to understand what's going on. He was so strong that he could withhold Gabriel, who was carrying a message from God himself. And Gabriel said it was when Michael came to help him. That was when he was able to escape to come to Daniel. And he now said that, listen, it will happen again. He says, I will come, I will defeat the um, 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 this prince of Persia. He said, then the priests of Greece will come. Now, what he was basically talking about, he was talking about um, the fall of the Persian kingdom, and which was the fall of the angel, which represents, when I say angel, the, 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 the fallen angel, which had authority and influence over the physical kingdom of Persia. Now, the prophet was also talking about, um, he was also talking about the fact that a new kingdom was going to come, a new kingdom. So if it's possible for him to obstruct Gabriel, that means there are certain things that God has released to people that sometimes have been obstructed by the princes of the regions where they are. Remember, what I'm talking about right now is the princes and locations. There are princes over regions where people are. Now, um, he now began to say that another rain will come. After that, he will face another spiritual enemy and it's called the prince of Greece. So we know in history that, and just as prophesied by Daniel, that there was a next world power after Persia, and it was Greece. So that is to tell you that what the war that Gabriel was fighting in the Bible in, in, in that time was not just a physical war, but it was determining what the next world power would be.
For some people, the Lord sends them into certain locations to be able to contain against certain powers. But these people are unprepared. But when you're contending against it, because of the weight of it, there's a tendency to think that, ah, it is a personal contention without realizing that it is actually a contention in the spirit realm, without realizing that it is actually a contention for what the next world order is going to become. Now, you look at this very carefully and you have to say to yourself, God, what are the things I'm contending against? What are the things my children will contend against? I see many times people say things like, ah, Nigerians, this is who we are. Ah, Nigerians, ah, we laugh about everything. The question is, did you, did you remember what um, Isaac said to Esau? What I taught two days ago. And Isaac said to Esau, he said, in the day that you gain the dominion, his yoke shall be broken off your shoulders. And I began to speak to you about what yoke means. And one of the things about yoke is actually one of the meanings is actually childishness, not being able to take things seriously. So the question is, some things you have embraced and some mentalities, is it a yoke in that region? Is it a yoke in that area? Some things that you have said, this is how I am. This is who we are. The question is, is that who you are? Or is that how life and location has accultured you to be? So because every acculturation has a spirit that is backing it up and every spirit has got a kingdom it is seeking to establish. So I pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that even as Daniel went into a period of fasting and praying, and the Lord began to bring revelation to him about the next wave of authority that wanted to break itself into the earth and the one that was currently existing and making it impossible for the children of Israel to break out. I pray that in this period of fasting and in this period of prayer, that the spirit of God will begin to show you in the, 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 the things that are opposing you, that are opposing your destiny, that are opposing the destiny of your children, your ministry, in the locations where you stand, in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray that God will show you. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. May you not fight like a man that is beating against the wind. May you not pray like a man that is beating against the air. But this morning, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus. We rise up in the spirit. We rise up, oh God, and we ask, Father, that here we are. We open up ourselves to the revelation of the Holy Ghost. We open up ourselves to encounters with you, oh God. We open up ourselves to enlightenment that we may know, that we may know what the real warfare is over our lives, what the real warfare is over our nations. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, out of this place, I pray that you will raise men and women with true spiritual altars, with true grand in the spirit realm that can fight, that can war, that can stand in the name of Jesus, that can topple over our powers and rulers over regions in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will raise out of us, oh God, a people that you can trust, a people you can trust with not just physical history, but you can trust with spiritual history in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray, oh God, that you will raise out of us this morning people who become intelligent in terms of the orchestrations 
of the spirit realm in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will raise out of us, oh God, people who are fortified by your word, people who can stand up against rulers in the dark realm in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you will build out of us people who can oppose the oppositions in our nations, people who can oppose them by the word of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray you will break us out in the realm of the spirit. You will break us out in revelation. You will break us out in prophetic audacity. You will break us out in diligence, oh God, to pay attention to the word of the Lord that has gone ahead of us. Father, I pray that you will raise people out of this book, oh God, out of this group who are diligent in the study of the word, who are diligent to note the times and the seasons. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, mele kuriva sante lekida, jando roque paruas kapapalekate, zakrande baruka sinkre ketima latasa, in the name of the Lord Jesus, matoke paradiska, Lord, we know you make no mistake about locations. Lord, we know you make no mistake about the places that you put us, oh God. So, Father, we ask that you will make us wise from today. You will make us wise from today. God, there is nobody on this call whose destiny will still be derailed, oh God, by their inability to understand the outworkings of the places where they are. But God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, even as we embrace your word and we embrace your principle, we declare that we are becoming strong men, oh God. We declare that we are becoming observant of patterns. We are becoming observant of systems. We are becoming observant of spiritual protocols in locations in the name of Jesus. My God, give us a spirit of might. Give us a spirit, oh God, of might to be able to stand in the power of Adonai, oh God. To be able to rule and to reign on your behalf. God, we will not be overwhelmed. We will not be overtaken, oh God. But Father, we raise our spiritual altars, oh God. We say upon the altar of our prayer, oh God, let revelation comfort. Let angelic interventions happen in the name of Jesus. Mare Caparadosa. E caparo sopra e caparuske papale gide levese capar. Jean Grongo patakis caparatesa. In the name of Jesus. Varadoska papaye. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Barakaso devehi. You know. It is important to become observant. It is important to be able to trace patterns, to be able to see the reoccurrence of things. It is important to be deep. It is important to be able to pay attention to details. There are too many people who are afraid to open their eyes and see because they are afraid that they'll be powerless to do anything about what they are observing. It is important, it is important Ignoring a thing does not take it away. Ignoring the fact that it exists does not change the fact that does not change its existence. But you must be awake fully to the presence of many things, but not just awaken to the presence of demonic orchestrations. No, but awaken to the power of God to consistently rule, to consistently reign, and to consistently win over the powers of hell, irrespective of what you see going on. But it is your ability to understand these things that determines how you govern your home. So that even if you find yourself in the midst of Egypt, you can build for yourself um, a little space, a Goshen, where the Lord can be. Even when you find yourself in the midst of... So, we, so for example, 
this, this, people speak about how homeschooling has been in a, an all-time high since COVID. Now, the question is, is it possible that many people are just beginning to realize that there is something else that has been unleashed over this generation? How the enemy has increased its intensity to steal the souls of our children, even for when they are young. Increase his intensity to steal their souls by telling them, you are not male, you are not female, you are not any of these things. And it has gone from just oppression in the atmosphere. It has now been institutionalized. Remember, powers. It has been institutionalized in many governmental systems. And now it now trickles down to the darkness that you see. And you now begin to see many children embracing this. You begin to see um, a lot of um, influencers embracing all of this and publicizing this position. When you are a person that stands with insight and revelation, is this the season where you say what will be, will be, however it wants to be, it will happen? No! This is not the season where you take the lives and the destiny of your children for granted. This is the season where you mount the wall and you begin to plan a solution based on the oppression you have observed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you won't go from the place of just responding. You actually be go to the place where you now become a gate that is standing against the gate that is seeking to steal the souls of our children. Where you now begin to raise your own kind of governmental enterprises in education. And so that what you raise now becomes a gate of liberation, an escape way for a generation that Satan wants to swallow up. So you do not just wake up and decide what to do. You decide what to do based on the graph that you have plotted. You decide what to do based on what you have observed in the spirit realm, not just how you feel. So you see the problem is I find a lot of believers are fighting unintelligently. And so you have to be able to observe the patterns, observe the seasons, observe the times. And based on what you observe, you begin to decide even down to who your friend is. It is very important because men are also gates. There are certain people that enter into your life and they begin to change the spiritual atmosphere. Some change it for good, some change it for bad. There are certain people that as long as they remain within your presence, you can never grow a thing. This is very important. So this is not the season to be asleep. This is not the season to hope and just imagine that things will fall in place. It is a season for intentional warfare based on the, 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 the things that we have observed in scripture, in time, in season, and in history. Even over your calling, there are gates that determine or locations that determine the manifestation of your calling. We all know the story of Paul's Macedonian call. And I mean, we read the story from time to time. And we're like, oh, you know, but you see, Paul was undertaking his second missionary journey. And Paul's plan was to visit and to strengthen the churches he hoped, you know, he had the churches he had planted in Asia province. Now, um, Paul had hoped to take the gospel to these unchurched regions in Asia. Paul and Silas and Timothy, these were people traveling with Paul at that time. And they had plans to head directly west. And, you know, um, but they declared that. He said, they said, they said, they said actually that they were kept by the Holy Spirit uh, from preaching the word of God in Asia. Now you will say to yourself, ah, but I thought that the Lord wanted the gospel to spread. Wouldn't he have them preach it everywhere they, they found? But they said we were kept by God 
we were kept by the Holy Spirit from actually preaching the good news in Asia. So is it possible that even where you should go and do the work of the Lord is determined by God? You cannot just wake up and say, oh, you know, I have a few friends in China, so I'm relocating to China and I'm going to open a church there. You'll be swallowed up. I have seen people's graces and calling swallowed up because they moved the, the place of their calling and the manifestation of it to a different location. Until today, you cannot find them anymore. Why? Because there are times when God resists you. So there is a place for locations and calling. Are we still together this morning? And, you know, at some point, the, ne the next time they tried to head north, you know, um, along the coastal regions of the Black Sea, you then begin to see again. They said again in Acts 16, verse 6 to 7, it actually says, it says, and the spirit of Jesus would not allow, allow them to. So if somebody say something. Okay. He says, and the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to even also go into that region. You know, so you better ask yourself, why was Jesus who died for the whole earth? He says the spirit of Jesus also withstood them. Now you begin to realize that it's almost like um, a, a child trying to navigate in a direction. And as he goes here, as a mother, you're like, no, 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 don't go there, don't go there. You are resisting the child and they go here again. You're like, no, 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 don't go there. It was almost like this resistance because they were spiritual people. They did not say to themselves, you know, there's an adversary, but this is it. We are going to push, we are going to try our best. No matter what it takes, we are going to take the land in the name of Jesus. We are going they were quick enough to observe when the adversary was the Lord. Remember what I was teaching you guys the other day about a great adversary has the reason and how the Bible says that as Satan stood up against Israel and he provoked David. But then when you read it in the book of Numbers, it actually says, and the Lord was angry with the children of Israel and provoked um, um, David. So the question is, who provoked David? Was it Satan or was it the Lord? And I was explaining to you about satanic systems and how Satan, there is a satanic person who has mastered the, 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 the culture of adversary, but there is also the satanic system by which sometimes you, an adversary can arise, but it is not necessarily the enemy's plot. But sometimes the Lord resists to put them on the right path. Now, these guys were spiritual people, so they were able to tell that listen, it is the Lord that is resisting us. Somebody say, who is the God of Lagos? Maybe you should study it. Maybe you should go read the history, pray. Look through scriptures. Look through the different moves of God over Lagos. Look through the different op oppressions and the different oppositions. And then you arrive at the knowledge of what is going on. Look at the different things that surround it. Lagos is surrounded by many, many waters. What are the gods that operate in the marine regions? All of these things, when you cope, it's almost like a spiritual mapping that you have to do. Anyway, so here is Paul. And they said that they were restricted again from going into that land to preach. They said by the spirit of Jesus. Now, Paul then received a Macedonian call. Paul said during the night, Paul, had a, Paul said during the night he had a vision of a man of Macedonia that was standing and begging him. The man was saying, come to Macedonia, come to Macedonia and help us. Now, Paul woke up and he knew that he had seen a vision from, excuse me, from the Lord. And he started getting ready to go into Macedonia. Now, what is most interesting is the, 
what is most interesting is the testimonies from Macedonia. Thank you. By reason of Paul's prompt obedience to go into that specific location, you now begin to see um, that in Macedonia is where you had the conversion of a woman called Lydia. Lydia was very, very influential in the early church and in the things that happened in the early church by reason of who she was, her position, her wealth. Imagine if Paul never went to Macedonia. Guys, remember in 2018 where Apostle Tommy and I went all the way to worry? What started that move that we did? It was a dream I had. In the dream, I was talking with Apostle Tommy on a video call and he would say to me, he said, P.I., we have to go to worry. And I was like, worry? I don't know. And then we continued having the conversation. And then later again, he's like, we have to go to worry. And I was like, worry? And then he called me again the third time. And I got on the video call again. And he's like, we have to go to worry. And I remember in this dream, after I, I heard him say, I was like, okay, well, if you say we have to go, then we have to go. And then in the dream, I went, I gathered people. And one of the people was Orode Uduaga. And I said, hey, we have to get into worry. There were a couple of people in the room. And I said, please, can you make a way for us? How can you make a way? Please, this has to happen. We all know the story of this movement to worry and how it was in the meeting we had there. And of course, it was like God had just positioned different people and, you know, already played such a strong role, you know, and just by the influence her father had had. And she was born again. And then she was able to open a door for us to come in. And then we had that meeting. It was called the Worry Prophetic Conference. No, the Delta Prophetic Conference or something like that. You know, Pastor Fanny was there, myself, um, the apostle told me, Pastor Feddy, you know, I think um, Emisi, you know, we all went to Worry. We prayed. We didn't know what we were going for. In this small room, you know, we had about just about maybe 150 people, 100 people at the most attend that meeting. And we didn't even know what it was for. But we just went, but it was in that place that Apostle began to prophesy over the now Olu of worry concerning the contention that was um, with his thrones at that time and the fact that God was giving him back the crown. Now, you may look at it and say, oh, it's just a dream. But no, it was a call to action. There was something that God had in mind. Today, we all celebrate it and we're all like, oh, you know, you know, uh, the great king, the great queen, you know, we're celebrating all of that. But we don't know that behind the scenes, there were actions of faith that needed to be taken. For us to enter worry at that time, it was a case there was no airport that was functional at that time. It was closed down. And Apostolic's condition was for me to enter. I need to enter and I need to come out the same day. And I was like, there's no airport. How do we do it? So we had to, by the grace of God, my husband spoke with a friend who gave us a private jet and flew us to Benin and already arranged for escorts, you know, armed escorts to move up from Benin to Worry. And when we're done, we went back the same way and flew back to Lagos the same way. But by the time we were done, we realized that it was for that singular purpose. And I remember that when we were going to Worry, I had made a call to the now owner and I said, hey, we're going to this land. I know what all of this is, but I think you should come for this meeting. I don't know what it is, but I actually believe this is going to be a powerful meeting. And you being there is going to be a representation of something that God is doing. And he was like, Pastor I will come. And at that meeting, Apostle that he had never met began to prophesy over him. Listen to me. There is something about location. Why did we have to go to the land to do it? Why didn't we meet him in Abuja? Why didn't we meet him in Lagos? Why did the prophecy not happen there? Why did I have to feel the need to say, hey, um, you know, uh, well, now Olu, but then um, Shola, 
we're going to worry. This is the meeting that happened. It's called the Delta Prophetic Covenant. I think that as a son of the land, as somebody who bears um, uh, 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 of the bloodline of you know the kingship, I think you should come. And he came all the way. Why was it important? Because ordinations happen over locations. Promotions happen over locations. It is in locations that people gain territory. People gain authority. There is something about a land where you are prophesied over. There is something about a land where you are spoken over. There is something about a land where things are released over you. It is very, very important to note this. So Paul began to say we were resisted, but it was when we then answered this Macedonian call that we saw by a dream to go to this particular location. Sometimes people look at the way that I move when it's like, okay, we're going to this level. I don't move by mistake. I don't move just because, oh, I think South Africa is going to be the next place. I think, no, 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 we don't do that. You move by the based on the conviction of the Holy Ghost and up until yesterday, I still went on my knees at night and I still said, before I went to bed at about 2 a.m., I said, Lord Jesus, please, if you would not have me go here, Father, please show me. I am a dead man. I don't care. I can counsel anything at the word of the Lord. I'm like, Father, if by any chance I have missed it, if by any way I have just slipped out of your will, Father, tell me. And as I was, as I was making that prayer, I heard the stern voice of the Lord. The Lord said to me, there is no room for doubt. There is no room for doubt. And immediately I understood that God was saying, this is not the time where you should not come and be asking me, God, should I really go to South Africa? He's like, don't even do that. Don't even give the enemy a single space, full steam ahead. So do I know fully what the Lord wants to do in that land? No. Do I know who God may be sending us there to spend thousands of dollars for just one person? Imagine we, we got private jets, we got armed guards, we bought everything, we spent so much money, organizing the program for what? For one ordination to pronounce over one person that the Lord is giving back the throne to you. Isn't it powerful how the Lord moves people based on his location just to go and establish something for himself? Now, in, when, when Paul answered the Macedonian call, something happened. It was in Macedonia that Lydia, had her conversion, a very influential woman. And we see how after that, Paul's ministry was strengthened by Lydia, was strengthened by the things that she brought to the table. And the church of God broke out mightily in that land by that one woman that they first saved. The deliverance of the fortune teller girl happened, which now resulted in that whole, you know, um, uh, that whole um, um, thing where there was this whole breakdown going on. You see the fortune teller girl and Paul and Silas were then in prison in Philippi. The conversion of the jailer and his household happened, Acts 16, verse 29 to 34. Paul's preaching in um, Areopagos in Athens also happened. And these are some of the highlights of that missionary journey. Paul planted several churches in Macedonian cities. Local bodies of believers were established in Philippi. You know, you see this in Acts 16 from verse 40. Thessalonica and Corinth. These churches were important in the growth of that early church time. And they enjoyed long-term relationship with the apostles. Five of the New Testament apostles were written in these churches in Macedonia. The history of the church and the history of the world forever changed because of the God-given dream known as the Macedonian call. I need you to hear me very strongly this morning. 
Because you see, there is a place you get to. There is a way you become where even your dream and your visions can determine the shifting of the heavens over nations, over locations, over generations. The problem is many times we take ourselves for granted. That's why we don't understand the power of the direction of God and the way that God gives it to us. You need to learn to steward your perception. Steward your discernment. Steward the way you receive the, 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 the signals of God. Because you would never know where God is leading you to and what God wants to change and how God wants to move a nation and how God wants to bet the next generation of godly kings. Paul said, the Holy Ghost resisted us. And the next thing he said, the, the spirit of Jesus resisted us. And it was like Jesus was leading them gently until they arrived at being in a place where they then knew that it was Macedonia they were meant to go to. And by reason of the ability to respond to Macedonia, you then see how Macedonia gave birth to a lot of the words that we read today. We read the scriptures, five of the New Testament gospels were written in Macedonia. That means those realms of revelation would never have been unlocked to the apostles if he hadn't gone to that land, if he hadn't stood in that nation to address certain gods, to address certain spirits, to address certain things, to fight certain warfares. It was by reason of the fact that he went to that location. That was when he became aware that this things, and then he wrote letters to, to churches. Please, very, very important. So this morning, we want to say, Father, as it pertains to my calling and my ordination, lead me steadily. Lead me steadily, O oh God, to where you will have me be. Lead me steadily, O oh God, to where you would have me walk out the next level of my salvation and the next level of my obligation to the kingdom. Perhaps somebody here is listening to me and you knew that the Lord consistently resisted you from being where you are today. You have always, it's, it's like a conviction and you know it. Everybody else is looking at you and saying, wow, so powerful, so beautiful. But you know in your heart that you missed it. This morning you need to repent. And to say, Father, you know, I repent of the actions that I took against your will. I moved quickly. I chose the best portion like lots did. What looks like good, what looked like great was what I chose. And I missed you. Father, this morning I repent. Lord, I am sorry. I ask, oh God, that you would restore to me the opportunity of service. That you would restore to me the opportunity for accurate um, partnership with you. Father, everything I have lost by reason of this error, I ask God that you have mercy on me and you restore it to me. Father, if it is that you cannot restore it to me, at least restore it to my children and my children's children. But God, I ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that the same way you did for, for Samson, that you gave him another opportunity, irrespective of how far he had moved away from you. But God, you gave him the opportunity to take down his enemies one more time. Father, I ask that you give me the opportunity to fight alongside you one more time. I ask that you give me the opportunity, oh God, to wage war alongside you one more time. Because I see this morning, oh God, that my destiny is dependent on my location. Father God, I just position myself to be fully used by you. And I ask, oh God, that you reorient me. You give me a new location. Oh God, you change my mind. You change my feelings, my, my convictions, oh God, so that I may stand where you stand. For some of you, you might have 
migrated away from where you currently are thinking, you know what, I'm going to a place of abundance. I'm going to a place where life can be better for me. But what if God's way of deciding where you should be is not based on safety? What if what you see as a better life is the corruption that is going to take you out? When Abraham told Lot to choose, Lot chose uh, the region of Sodom and Gomorrah because it looked like the better life. The Bible was speaking concerning Sodom and Gomorrah, concerning the scene of Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't homosexuality. He said Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin was number one, gluttony. They would just feed themselves, feed themselves. They had so much. Their sin was that they were complacent. They were just, they were, the system of Sodom and Gomorrah was working so much that the people didn't even need to stress themselves. Also, they were insensitive to the surrounding poor nations around them. So when you look at Sodom and Gomorrah from the perspective of today, it was a fully functional system. It was working so well that the people did not even need to work hard. The government provided everything for them. The government made housing possible, light, clean water, food, education for children. They had so much good that they had the time to begin to engage in all kinds of idolatry. So somebody today will choose like Lot. You look at the land and you say, wow, it is, it is so good. This is the land of opportunity. It was, it was feeling, it, it had a sense of feeling so much so that even when Lot observed that this place is not good, Lot did not leave. The Bible records how Lot grew in Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot became as one of the elders sitting at the gates. So that when the angels come, Lot saw them and Lot led them because he was an elder. How do you become as a righteous man? How do you become an elder over a, 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 a land whose entire system of governance is based on idolatry, is based on all kinds of um, um, fornication and trespassing against God? The Bible records how Lot's soul was vexed consistently by being in that land. But why did Lot not leave? Because Lot felt like, ah, this is the place of, this is the place of my prosperity. This is the place of my increase. This is the place of my influence. We will die here. And guess what? A huge part of Lot died there. Even though the Lord in his mercy tried to remove his family, but we see what happened. We see what happened to Lot. We see what happened with his daughters. We see how the generation of Lot played out. Why? Because Lot could not tell that it is not by what looks good locationally. It is by where the spirit of God is. Imagine if Lot had stayed with Abraham. Imagine the portion of Lot. Yes, he might have gone through days of seeming suffering, but Lot would have arrived at having an eternal promise with the Lord. We have to be careful because over locations, a, a, a certain kinds of um, a, people can gain or people can lose their callings based on the locations they find themselves in. One last thing I want to talk to you about before we go is the gods of our locations. You know, there's a story in the Bible about the walls of Jericho. And what many people don't understand is why God had to take down the walls of Jericho. Because in as much as Jericho was a, an advantageous city for them to take first and occupy and make first as their stronghold before advancing. But there was also something about Jericho and its walls. They could have taken Jericho and kept the walls. It makes sense to take the land and keep the walls. Are you going to start rebuilding a new defense system? But God needed to take down the defense system of Jericho. Why? Because Jer the people in Jericho used to worship um. I can't remember the name of this God. 
um, More or Molech. And in the worship of Molech, part of what they did was that they would sacrifice babies. Women would give birth to their babies living and they would throw it into the fire. So Molech was like a, a statue, a god that was built and in the belly of Molech was a furnace. So what they would do is that they would throw the baby into the furnace and you will literally hear the baby screaming as the baby died. Now, what they did was that you would take the ashes of the baby and put it in a jar, lock it, and they put those ashes into the walls in Jericho. Now, it is these ashes in the walls that was a case of this God is the one that keeps us. This God is the one that protects us. It was a form of worship to their God for protection. So no wonder when God was about to enter and bring the children of Israel into the territory he had promised them, he first had to take down the God in that location. He had to take that. So by bringing the Bibles, when, it, when the wall of Jericho was leveled, do you understand? It came down crashing and the children of Israel walked over it. So a wall that was, um, I think, 11 feet high and 14 feet wide came down so much so that the children of Israel were able to walk over it to enter the land. So this, this tells you about the power of God and the vengeance of God against that God. So that when they entered into the land, the altars that the people had raised would no longer be able to speak. So that it could be God and God alone that was speaking over the children of Israel in Jericho. The same thing, the Egyptians, when God was going to take bring out the, um, the children of Israel from Egypt, why did God not just go there, kill everybody, take the children of Israel out? Because the captivity of the children of Israel, remember the captivity of them in Babylon. Their captivity wasn't just because the king had guns and armor. There was something else holding them in the spirit realm, and it was called the Prince of Persia. In the same way, when God was going to liberate the children of Israel, it wasn't just Pharaoh, the physical Pharaoh that was holding them. It was everything that the throne of Pharaoh represented. Please hear me. This is going to be the liberation for somebody. In a land where none of your forefathers could become billionaires, you will become a billionaire. Why? Because you will then understand what to fight, what to wage war against. In a land where they have said nobody from your tribe can ever arrive at a certain position, you will break it. Why? Because you now understand how God works and how God takes down the gods of locations, the gods of traditions, the gods of tribes, so that he can bring his people into particular places that he has designated for them. The Egyptians, like many pagan cultures, worshipped a variety of gods. There was God of the sun, God of childbirth, God of fertility, and all of that. And so the first plague that God did, which was turning the Nile to blood, was judgment against a particular god, and it's called the god Apis, A-P-I-S, the god of the Nile, which is also Isis, goddess of the Nile, and Kurun, guardian of the Nile. So there were three gods, Apis, Isis, and Kurum. They were all gods of the Nile. The Nile was also believed to be the bloodstream of another god called Osiris, who was reborn each year. And so anyway, now the thing about the Nile was the Nile was what made Egypt prominent. Egypt was just a narrow place inside a corner. But the Nile was the place of commerce where they were able, it was a trading route that was very, very important in those days. So people and ships had to pass through the Nile. So because of that, it gave Egypt a very advantageous position. But also 
they also believed that the gods of the now were the ultimate. And that was what basically um, controlled their economy. You understand? So the, the, the now was where they got their daily life, their watering and everything, but it controlled their economy. So when God struck the first plague and millions of fish died in the river, the water became unusable. So God said that Pharaoh might know that he is the Lord because he had taken down four of their powerful gods, the ones they called the most prominent gods in Egypt. The second um, plague was bringing frogs out of that same now, which was the judgment against um, Higet, the, the, the frog-headed goddess of birth. So God was now also confronting the ability for them to reproduce the stronghold of the now. So the bringing out of that, 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 that frog, they, they actually have a frog-headed goddess. And that goddess was basically, um, um, the role of the goddess was for birth. So God also took that down, signifying to them that, listen, I am about to take not just you, but your gods that make it possible for things to be rebirthed and for cycles to be reborn. In the third plague of Seth, the goddess of the desert, you know, and God was also taking that down because you see, um, uh, unlike the previous place, the magicians were unable to duplicate um, this particular plague. And they said, this is the finger of God. When God sent the flies, he was judging another God called Utachit, and which was the fly God. And remember Beelzebub, which is the one that um, um, and that just stays on the wounds of people. It's the Lord of the flies. So God was also judging the, the, the outworkings of this kind of principality power that is able to rest on the wounds of other people. It was part of what was holding the children of Israel back. The fifth plague was on the livestock and God was also coming for their supply and their nourishment. And so God was crippling their economy. The sixth, sixth place was boils and a judgment came against the uh, um, several gods when, when God released the sickness. The gods, Sikmet, Sunu, Isis, the time the Bible says the magicians could not stand before the Moses because of the boils. So clearly the religious leaders were powerless against the God of Israel. Now you see the seventh plague, which was the hail. I could go on and on, but basically all of these plagues represented a God that God was taking down. And each of these gods were responsible for several aspects of the economy of Egypt. So imagine somebody relocating to Egypt and thinking you will prosper in Egypt when you don't even know the gods that are holding out the economy of Egypt. Imagine a believer moving into Egypt and thinking that Egypt and Egyptian gods will not resist you. Of course they will. Of course they will. So, but how did God then position the children of Israel to arrive in prosperity? In spite of all the workings of the gods, God had to take them down one by one and he did it by the hand of one man. God did not use 10 men. God did not use an army. God just needed one man. One man that was willing to say enough is enough. One man that was willing to trust God enough to be able to bring down generational. They were there for 400 years. That was a long-standing generational captivity. And all God needed was one man that was willing to say, you know what? We are going to fight this. We are going to take this down. Listen to me. God does not need too many people. You can be the deliverer in your family. 
You can be the one who stands up on behalf of your husband's house because by reason of covenant, you have become one with him. God can use you to fight a territorial spirit that wants to consume you and consume your household. The Bible records how Joseph, how um, Abraham will go into certain lands and Abraham will grow and become so prosperous that the land will say, please, please, please leave us. You have become too big for us. It happened with Isaac. We see it also happening with Jacob. <clears throat> how Jacob became so prosperous. And he realized that if I don't leave now, Laban is going to take me down. How did these people rise up in the abundance of God in the midst of a prevailing darkness and in the midst of a prevailing um, um, limitation over a land and over a city? There is a level of commitment that you give to God, a level of consecration, a level of dedication. You will notice consistently through scriptures how when people wanted to break strongholds, they went into fasting. Jesus did it for 40 days and 40 nights. That's why you cannot take for granted what we are doing here. And the fact that God is opening doors to you in this month of September. God is breaking the hold of setting um, things over you in this month of September so that you may enter into the prosperity of the spirit. This is what the Lord is doing in this season. The last plague, what did God do? God said, you are going to put the blood of a lamb over your doorpost. This is so significant. You're going to put the blood of, and when the angel of death comes, he will pass, pass it by. You know, I'm remember, reminded of a story in the Bible. And this story is in Second Kings. And it is a story of a Moabite king. Let me read it quickly and there we go. Second Kings 3. It says, but when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. Are we still together? If you can hear me, please just signify that you can still hear me. Yes, we can. Hello? We're with you, PA. Okay, Pastor Stephanie, I hope you guys are there and you can still hear me. So um, the Bible says, and Israelites, um, it says, but when they got up early in the morning, sorry, hold on. Now the Moabites had heard that the king had come to fight. But when the Moabites came up to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. This is verse 24. And Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns and each man threw a stone on every good field um, until it was covered. They stopped, they stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only Ker Harashets. Sorry, I'm having power issues. So it's breaking and it's going in and out, but I'm glad that you guys are still with me. Um, Olikar Harashet was left with his stones in place, but men 
armed with slings, surrounded it and attacked it. When the Moabite king saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through the king of Edom, but they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. He says, then the fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. Now, why am I sharing this scripture with you? Because this scripture is talking about a time when war came against um, this particular nation and the children of Israel were going to take over Moab completely. And then they had started winning. They had taken over their farms. They had taken over any, everything. You know, it was so powerful. And the next thing, this king saw that he was losing. He saw that there was no way he could win. The Bible says he took his firstborn son. He went and he slaughtered him at the, at the city gate. He says, as soon as he slaughtered him, the warfare changed completely. The children of Israel that were winning, something happened, they began to lose. It is almost as though the enemy that were weakened became more powerful than the children of Israel. And the Bible discovered, it says, the fury that came against the children of Israel. The question is how? How did this happen? How does this happen? The battle always belongs to the man who is giving the greatest sacrifice. The battle always is won by the man who is raising the greatest altar. There are times when I have reached dead. <laughs> when even as a ministry, we reach a point where I'm like, God, what do we do next? And the Lord is like, you're going to give. You're going to give all of these things that you have. Because there is a level I need to break you into. I need to break the people into. You cannot achieve it without a sacrifice. This guy understood the power of giving the greatest sin. The greatest asset any king has is his firstborn son. That's his greatest asset. Now, can you see how Satan was mimicking something that God was going to do later in the future? He observed it from the pattern of Abraham. When God said to Abraham, go and sacrifice your son, your only son to me. And Satan wasn't sure what God was going to do by reason of that sacrifice. So what the enemy did was tend to replicate it, the intelligence of the spirit. He then replicated it later in the future to be able to take down the children of Israel. And we see how later in life, how God then brought forth Jesus. Why am I saying this? I'm connecting it to what God also did in Egypt because God was taking down the firstborn son of all the Egyptians as an indication that I'm taking down your power, as an indication that you will not have the ability to reign or to rule again because I have taken down your first heir. This is why sometimes God begins to say, give the first fruit of all your, these things are principles and patterns in scriptures. As soon as this king killed his child, the battle changed completely. And the battle that was going against him now became in his favor. I'm saying this to you so that you would understand how warfare in locations work and how people actually take territories and they take places. This morning, as we pray and we go, I want to ask, I want you to ask of the Lord that the messages you have heard today, we continue to speak throughout the day. That Father God will begin to show you patterns, systems, and things within locations that you stand in and locations he's sending you to. I pray that God will begin to teach you the spiritual principle of how you overthrow certain orchestrations in your life.
and how like Daniel, you could live in a land where there was such a strong oppression of the spirit of Persia, but in that land, Daniel grew strong. So Daniel become, became such a strong power and a strong opposition to the, to the king of the land. Why? Because it was something about Daniel. The Bible recorded that Daniel consistently opened his windows towards Jerusalem. Daniel was a man of prayer. This is how you escape. This is one thing for you to escape it personally, but it's another thing for you to help a generation and a people escape it. That's the difference. So many of us are believers are living under the wealth of the presence of God, under the covering of the angelic host of God. But the question is, what about our nation? How do you move from discipling men into the power of God, into discipling nations, into the liberation of God? There are certain things you will have to confront. There are certain ways you go into battle in prayer, in fasting, in raising of um, spiritual altars. We have to be able to do it in the giving of uh, and sacrificial givings. All of these things that we observe and you think, oh, no, that's in the Old Testament. It's not true. The Old Testament is the shadow of a reality that exists in the New Testament. A shadow is always a proof that there is an image. And the true image, we behold it in the New Testament, in Christ, and the principles that Christ lays for us. So this morning, Father, we ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you will stir up our hearts and you will show us how to apprehend you. That you will make every single person on this prayer call sensitive. That, Father, you will begin to strengthen them for battle. That nobody here will give up their spiritual inheritance simply because they could not get up and fight. God, I pray that the spirit of revelation will come upon your children. That the eyes of their understanding may be enlightened, O oh God. That, Father, they would know, O oh God, what is the army of hope that you have given to them. So that they may arrive at your pure and eternal will. God, I pray for everyone. I pray that we will all become gates, as you have said, that when we come into this revelation, we will become the gates that resist the gates of hell. Father, I pray that you will show your people that they have become strong in the spirit to be able to contend with certain territorial powers. Father, I pray that you will create a network of spiritually intelligent people who are versatile in the art of warfare that can take down the demons over regions and territories. God, this is the season of liberation for the earth. May we and our children and our seed not be swallowed up by the manipulations of darkness in this season. They, the kings who sit and they say to themselves we will open the doors of Babel once more so that demonic hordes may come into this earth. Father we declare that in the name of the Lord Jesus that you will break their stronghold in Jesus name. Father we ask that you will show us also how to stand as the ladders of it that connect heaven and earth because you said I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatsoever you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you lose in heaven shall be losing on earth. Father show us how to stand as spiritual ladders to consistently release your own kingdom policies, your own kingdom agenda in the name of Jesus. Father, we bless you because there is a course correction happening today for anyone that has walked out of the path you have set for them. Father, bring them back in the knowledge of your will. And for anyone that has been fearful to go in the direction of your will, Father, galvanize their hearts today with courage so that they may move promptly in the name of Jesus. Father, show us, oh God, the, 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 the map, oh God, that righteous men of old have plotted for our sake. Help us to be able to evaluate and to be able to interpret the work is the righteous acts of men of old, revivalists, 
prayer people, intercessors, oh God, who have gone ahead of us, Father, so that we may be able to open the streams of sacrifice in the name of Jesus. If you are looking for a people you can use to liberate locations and to establish your will over regions, Father, here we are. Let us be those people. Begin it in our houses, with our families, our ministries, our businesses, our physical locations. Begin from there, Lord, and break out of us as a mighty river. Break out of us as a mighty river, eclipsing the darkness of our generation. Give us wisdom. Give us spiritual strategies, oh God. Strategies of war. Strategies, oh God, by which we can establish you in places and in various seasons. In the name of our Lord Jesus. May we not live ignorantly. May we not die the ignorant deaths of those who did not know the workings of the spirit realm. But open our eyes. Teach us to stand resisting demonic, satanic cultures that want to swallow up our generation. Make us strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we put on the whole armor of God that is able to fight against principalities and powers. We wear our helmets of salvation. We kit ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. We tie around the loins of our hearts and our spirits the belt of truth. God, we hold the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, firmly on our hands. And we kit our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Father, today we wear our armor fully. May we never take it off. May we bask in the revelation of this armor, O God. And as we forge ahead to establish God in the territories of the world, empower us, O God, strengthen us, O God. Let kings be returned return to their thrones and let rulers that are ordained by you be repositioned in the locations where you can use them to bring down your spirit in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Father. We bless you because it is a day of ordination, a day of commissioning, a day of strengthening, and a day of the breaking of altars in our Father's houses. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We give you praise now and evermore. God bless you. God bless you. Have a lovely day. Um, remain in the presence of God. Remain in the place of prayer and fasting. Ask the Lord to keep opening your eyes and your ears to show you the things that he needs you to know about the locations where you are, um, the promises to call forth, um, the warfare to fight, the things to break out of, the things to break into, the way to pray, ask God to show you. And I know that as he does that, he will establish you, establish your family, establish your name forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Please make sure you go back and study everything that we have read. And may God bless you with wisdom and understanding. 